Thank you guys so much. You can have a seat. I think I maybe should stand this way so I can preach to the choir, right? Isn't that kind of, kind of the saying? Well, you guys may be able to tell I was never picked on as a child. Do you know why you can tell I was never picked on as a child? Nobody in their right mind would wear a get-up like this if they were ever picked on as a child, you know? But, you know, I do remember one time I was uh, at my cousin's, and uh, I would go to my cousin's for a week every summer there for a few years for, believe it or not, basketball camp. And we'd go to uh, basketball camp in the morning, but then we'd go swimming in the afternoon. I remember going swimming at the pool in the afternoon. And I remember they had this slide, and it was my turn to go on the slide, and I was about ready to go up the slide. And some, I was probably in about sixth grade, maybe fifth grade. I was, I was always really big for mage. Part of the reason I was never picked on probably was I was always really big. I was 6'3 by the time I was in eighth grade. But I, I remember going up to this ladder, and this high schooler, maybe he's even a college guy, came and shoved me out of the way. And I said something under my breath, like, sarcastic. It wasn't even that mean, like, yeah, go ahead or whatever. And he stopped, and he turned around, and he shoved me. And he said, what did you say? It was like the time I remember in my life when I was a kid. It was like, there is nobody here to save me. This guy is way bigger than me. What in the world am I going to do? My cousin was with me, and he's always been about a head and shoulders shorter than me, so he wasn't going to do anything. And I remember feeling so helpless in that moment. I, w I felt so small, and he was so big. Thankfully, one of his friends just said, hey, man, come on, just let's go, whatever, and kind of got me out of the situation. But I still remember that fear. And for everybody that has ever gone to school every day and felt that every single day, I cannot imagine that had to be a horrible, horrible thing. But as we think about that story, I want to tell one other quick story, a story that uh, is not a story that I made up. It's a story in the Bible, and I want to read it to you. And this will be a test, you know. I listened to a podcast this week. It was a debate. Are smartphones and our devices making us dumber? That was a debate. So for all of you who don't use them very much, this is your opportunity to show what great attention spans you have. And for all of you who do use your devices a lot, you can prove that it's not making you dumber and you still have a great attention span. So this will be a competition, okay? So let's look at Genesis chapter 37, starting verse 1. This is a familiar story to us, and you are going to see that I'm going to skip most of it. But there's this one really big thing I'd like to get, us to get from it this morning. It says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourn in the land of Canaan. Now let me help you think about how he got to this point. So you have creation. You have Adam and Eve. After an Adam and Eve, you have Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel goes on, and then after that, the world gets worse and worse. You have Genesis 6, which no one knows what that means. Then you have the flood, and the flood happens, and that goes in the whole world. Then people begin to... Uh, uh, have uh, more and more kids and grow together, and they decide they don't want to separate, so they build the Tower of Babel, right? And after the Tower of Babel, then we have this really big shift in the Bible. This happens in Genesis 12, like in the first 12 chapters of the Bible. God starts working with one family. It's Abraham and his descendants. They are like what the whole rest of the Old Testament is about, and of course, Christ is ultimately descended from them. So you have Abraham, and he has kind of a famous son named Isaac, and he has kind of a famous son named Jacob. And so this is the Jacob that we're here looking at in verse 1. And we go on to verse 2, and it says, These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph, being 17 years old. So this is son Joseph. He's 17 years old, was pastoring 
the flock with his brothers. He was the boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, if you're kind of wondering who this Bilhah and Zilpah is, I made a li- uh, excuse me, I stole a little family tree. So let's look at that for one second. You can see that Zilpah and Bilhah, they're not really like normal wives of Jacob, okay? They're not really normal wives. What happened was Leah was no longer having kids, so she just gave Jacob one of her servants to be his wife, kind of, and so they could have more kids. Rachel had two kids, Joseph and Benjamin, and then she could no longer was having any kids, so in order to help please Jacob, she gave him one of her servants, and they also uh, were married to Jacob, and they had kids. And this is where we're going to ultimately get the 12th tribe of Israel, and they also had a sister in there. So that is who these characters of Bilhah and Zilpah are. So we have all these brothers. So you can imagine with me the family dynamic. Rachel's the favorite daughter already. She has two kids, Joseph and Benjamin. Then you have Leah. Well, at least she's like a legit wife. And then you have the servants' kids, who really got to not only feel like second-class citizens, they are feeling like third-class citizens. So we go on with the story. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. And it's quite famous that he got this robe of many colors. Of course, color was very hard to get back then, very expensive. And so this is a really big deal that he went on to get this coat of many colors. We go on to verse four. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So you have a group of first-class citizens, you have a group of second-class citizens, third-class citizens, and the hate rages. Now Joseph had a dream, and we told it to his brothers. They hated him even more. You know, before we read the dream, this is an interesting thing, you know. Sometimes people will say something like, well, I'm telling you the truth. Well, I'm, it's the truth. I'm just going to throw a little wisdom out there for you. Sometimes it's, it's okay to not just go around telling. I'm not saying you're going around lying. I'm saying to just hold the truth to yourself a little bit, Right? When that person's haircut looks really rough, I mean, if they ask, I'm not suggesting you lie, but there's no particular reason why you need to go, hey, look, your hair looks terrible today. Like, oh, man, you know, geez, who dressed you? Holy cow, right? It's like maybe okay. It's maybe okay to just not say anything sometimes, right? And so Joseph didn't seem to have learned this skill particularly well. He certainly didn't seem to be able to execute. So he has a dream. And he just decides to go ahead and tell them about it. And I'd like you to think about it a second thing. There's really, there's really two sides of this question. First of all, we need to be wise on just running around and telling everybody everything, uh, no matter how true it may be. The second thing is, we, we, do, we do need to be good at being able to take the truth. You know, we do need to learn that sometimes, maybe the person wasn't as nice as they could have been or whatever, we could complain about that. But sometime when the truth comes to us, it may hurt. It may not be what we want to hear. But 
You know, it's the truth, and there, we cannot get upset about it. So I, I think there's kind of two sides of that coin, and we, we don't want to hurt each other's feelings. We don't want to run around just being mean, but we also need to recognize that when something's true, it's true, and we need to react appropriately. So anyway, he tells them the story. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then it goes on. Then he dreamed another dream. And told his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon. So it's probably his parents, the sun and the moon. And the 11 stars were his brothers were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. See, obviously in a, in a world which famine was like a really big deal, anything related to food was really important, so the whole sheaves thing is kind of significant. And then celestial bodies, you know, things in the heavens, they often were seen as, uh, you know, gods or very, very important or royal. And so having those things bow down to Joseph were a big deal. So Joseph is, seems to be doing nothing but ticking off his family and his family doesn't seem to be taking it well, except, except Jacob, right? He said, he, he didn't like it either, but he at least said it kept it in mind, right? He at least sort of recognized that maybe God was working and that maybe there was some truth to it and maybe he should listen. So we go on to verse 12 and it says, Now his brothers went to the pasture, their father's flock near Shechem, Shechem and Israel said to Joseph, Are you not your brother's pasture? Uh, brother's pasturing the flock in Shechem. Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, here I am. So he goes and he visits his brothers So as they were tending the flock to check on them. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring them word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. We go on to verse 15, and a man found him wandering in the fields and the man asked him, what are you seeking? He says, I am seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And the reason they maybe went there is because there's a story early on in Genesis where their sister was uh, raped by those people, and then they went and they killed them. It's not a popular story. There's a, kind of a lot of death and stuff in it, which is why... We don't learn that one as kids as much, but it's very possible the reason they kind of went over that way was to check on these people that they didn't really like so well. So Joseph went after his brothers. Verse 18, they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they inspired against him to kill him. Now, I've got a couple cousins that I've seen really fight like absolute crazy. My brothers and I didn't fight like I Like they were, they would, I mean, it was like they were throwing real punches. It was incredible. I was like, wow, that could hurt, you know, that's ridiculous. I don't think they ever really got to the point they were going to actually kill each other. But they had gotten to the point with Joseph, we, I, we're there, we're going to kill you. 
This is how much we hate you. I mean, to, to, to imagine how belittled they must have felt, some of them as third-class citizens, to say, this is so bad, death is warranted. They said to the one another, here comes this dreamer, right? These dreams really, really bothered them. Verse 20, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. You can't dream when you're dead, right? But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of his hands, saying, let us not take his life. Verse 22, and Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So one of them has a moment of sanity, and he says, okay, well, let's just throw him in this pit. And he's thinking, I'll come get him later. So we're not going to kill him. Now you say, what happens next? You say, well, where did Reuben go? Well, when you're watching a flock, there's like, you know, you had to go do stuff, and it's not like they were texting one another about these things. So if he's off working, it's not too hard to imagine that he didn't get in on this meeting, all right? So we go on, and it says in verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry down to Egypt. And of course, you say, you know, we could kill our brother, and that would be nice. We could just throw him in a pit, and he'll probably die. That would be nice. But what if we got rid of him and we got money at the same time? I mean, when I was stealing snacks and my sister was telling on me, there were times I was ready to sell her as well. I mean, I, it was very frustrating. She had the nickname, the Defender of the Faith, we called her, because she always got us older brothers in trouble when we did things we shouldn't have. So we go on with the story, and it says, Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Verse 27 Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. Verse 28, then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Verse 31, then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. So they take him, they sell him, they take the robe, they kill a lamb, they dip the awesome robe in blood so they can go back and tell dad that he died. This it had to be so much easier to get away with things back then, you know? No phones, no video cameras, like no really good way to get evidence. It was like pretty easy. I mean, you think about it. You sell a guy to Egypt. What are the chances that's ever going to come back on you? I mean, it's like a hard to even travel from one place to the other. It's like a royal pain to even like camel that far. It's like, this is, they're good. This is, this is like bulletproof. We go on to verse 32. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this, is, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe 
or not. And, and he identified it and said, it is my son's robe, a fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. He apparently forgot to do a blood test to make sure it was human blood, so he was fooled. Okay, he's got to figure this out. Verse 34, then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth to his loins and mourned for his son many days. Verse 35, and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol. I shall go down to my death, to my son mourning. I will mourn until I die. Thus his father wept for him. Verse 36, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And the story of Joseph goes on with Potiphar, and there's many, many other events that happen, but we're going to skip ahead, because I'd like you to think of this. If you had brothers who all you did in your mind was you just told them the truth, you just told them, you had a dream, you actually had this dream, and you told them about it. You know, one time they were being bad, and you you turned them in. I mean, you your mind, you did nothing wrong. You were doing the right thing. You were being a nice guy. And all their response to you is, we are going to sell you into slavery only because that makes us more money than killing you. I don't know how you would feel about this. I would be bitter. I would be very bitter. I would be thinking every day I'm in a, a servant or in jail. If I ever get out of here, I will make them regret what they did to me. If nothing else, if nothing else, even if I'm going to, I'm just going to like talk myself into that I'm not being that mean. I'm going to be as most success, successful as I can possibly be and then I'm going to make them watch. And of course, you, you may know the story. What happens to Joseph? He becomes about as successful as you can possibly be as a slave. He becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. He becomes almost as powerful as the ruler of Egypt, the greatest country in the world at that time through the power of the Nile. If I saw my brothers, I think my attitude would be, huh, good try. Didn't work out for you so well, did it? Oh, you wanted something from me? Sorry. Maybe, maybe you could spend a little time in slavery, see how it works for you. Thought it was such a good idea. Hey, it worked for me. I mean, I'd be like up at night thinking of smart aleck remarks. I'm not really that good at them. I'd be, I'd be like writing them out and like testing them on my wife to see which one of these was like the meanest. Which, which, which one of these would be the jerkest? Like, you know, how to be passive aggressive 101. Is there a book out there like that? It's probably one how not to be, but... But we get to the time when he reunites with his brothers, and it says in Genesis chapter 45, verse 4, so Joseph said to his brothers, this is when he sees them, he, they rec- he tells them who he is, they recognize him, 
Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, they came near because, you know, he could kill him at the snap of his fingers. He had to do what he said at this point. I would have been like, come here. Gotcha. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And going on to verse 5, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, Joseph made a choice. He could be bitter at his brothers. The choice that probably all of us would make. He chose to push away the bitterness, and he chose to have a joy-filled life. There's times we're happy and sad, but we can always choose to be joyful. We can always make that choice. And you know why we as believers can make that choice when it's maybe so hard for others? When everything's going bad for us. And when everything was going bad for Joseph, he, he didn't know he was going to be the right-hand man of the king. You know, and, and we may never become the right-hand man of the king here on earth, but we know that one day, just like it was for Joseph, it's all going to work out for us. One day, we'll spend an eternity in heaven, and no matter how difficult, no matter how mean someone may be here to us, no matter how terrible someone has tried to make our life, no matter how much tragedy has struck, we, like Joseph, we can choose joy. We can choose joy. You know, without the promise of eternity, I don't know how you talk someone in to joy when there's tragedy. I've lost my child. I've lost my parents. I've lost my brother. Whatever it may be, you say, don't worry. It will be okay. Will it? Will it be okay? Why would it be okay? All you can hope for the rest of your life is the hurt and the pain that that has brought. But with Jesus Christ coming to earth and offering us an opportunity to spend an eternity with him, we can have joy even in those sorrowful, difficult times. Christ came to the earth and he brought us joy. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much this morning. We just thank you so much for the story of Joseph, and we just thank you that uh, he was such an example to us that I'm sure through that whole time he didn't know it was all going to work out, or, or he knew it would work out somehow. He certainly probably didn't know it was going to work out quite that well. Lord, I don't know how it's going to work out for each of us, but Lord, I know that one day we will be with you forever, and it will work out. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.